Hello and welcome to the Belong to the Ages podcast. I am your host, Will Hanneman. Our guest today is a very special one because it happens to be my grandpa, Henry Paul Hanneman. He worked for the Department of Agriculture from 1958 to 1990, so I get an oral history from him about his time with the department. Also, you will hear another voice. That is my aunt, and I let her ask anything she wanted because she can get a lot out of my grandpa, and she grew up with him at the Department of Agriculture, so she brought up good some good points uh, and really thoughtful questions, I thought. The podcast starts with him already in mid-sentence. The reason for that is he started talking and the recording device was counting in, but he is just talking about the diseases he would see in the cattle he would look at. Also, I thought this podcast was very fascinating and he's a really funny guy, so his stories are very awesome. I hope you enjoy. Let's go. But I want to say one thing to the American people. You're listening to Belongs to the Ages podcast. Because tuberculosis was uh, harmful to the human health. You know, it would go through the packing plant and that, and so then they set up inspectors in the packing plant, and then, of course, they also tested all the animals on the farm, you know, for tuberculosis. And then, of course, another one was... Uh, brucellosis, and it was, uh, uh, the scientific name is brucellus abortus, and then the cows would, the uh, female cows would usually abort the calf in about the seventh month of carrying, and of course the calf would be dead, and uh, lost thousands and thousands of dollars through that, you know, and then the cow, you know, would be barren for a whole year. And then also another thing that was going on at that time, a lot of the farmers were consuming the milk, you know, that they were uh, uh, from their own cows on the farm. And a lot of times when a cow would abort the calf, it would be, you know, they would take it in and they would train it to milk. And then milk caused gentleman fever in many, many children, many, many adults. Oh, really? Yeah. But didn't they pasture it? I mean, I'm sorry. At that time, we didn't pasteurize. No, I, I want you to ask. Okay. They didn't pasteurize. No, who, who the hell knew about pasteurizing? <laughs> you know, and uh, I suppose, you know, I, I imagine if they used the milk to cook with or that, but I, I don't know. All I know is that there's, I run into a lot of families whose child had gotten an undulant fever or the husband had gotten it or the wife had gotten it. And it kind of wears itself out over a period of years. It's kind of kind of similar to malaria. You get a high fever occasionally in there. Okay, a follow-up question here on the TB. Was it tuberculosis in animals or in humans? Animals. And, of course, humans had TB, too. Uh-huh, but they, so they were initially testing the animals for tuberculosis. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And, of course... You know, normally, you know, uh, TB goes into the lungs mm-hmm. with the animals, and then, of course, the animals would uh, succumb to the disease. Well, anyway, I started with the Department of Agriculture in 1958, in June of 1958. 
and uh, that's when they were getting the brucellosis program underway. And then, then of course, there was uh, no law that you had to test your cows or anything like that. It was strictly a voluntary deal. And then they had a deal where if you had your cows tested and you had a reactor, you know, you had you had the option of branding it with a B or and, and selling it or branding it with a B and keeping it and then also not branding it at all and keeping it in your herd. Well then, eventually after I worked about a year or so, then the legislature passed a law that it was mandatory that uh, all, the, all the eligible cows in the state would be tested or all over the United States as far as that goes. And uh, then, uh, then the, it was mandatory if they found a reactor, then it was to be branded with a B on the left jaw and then it was to be sold to slaughter, and the owner for a grade cow, he would get a $25 indemnity, and for a registered animal, they'd get $50 indemnity. And so then we started going down the road, and we started testing cows. And to begin with, they, uh, to get the thing started, they had what they called the milk ring test. And that was, uh, we had trailers that we went around. The first, my first job was, uh, in Hutchison County and going around to the farms, you know, where there are milking cows and head cows to get a milk sample. Then we would take it back to the trailer and we would put so much in the test tube and then put a little tuber or, uh, some antigen in it, brucellosis antigen in it and uh, incubate it for, I don't know, an hour or so, I think it was. And then if it had a, a ring on the top of it, you know, of the milk, that's, that's how it got to be called the ring test that indicated that there was some brucellosis in there, that the cow was infected. And then you would determine, you know, by the size of the ring, whether it was a plus one, plus two, or plus three. You know, plus one was the bad one. And then from, from there, I, we went to Clay County. We worked in Clay County, and then from there, they sent me up to Coddington County, up to Watertown, and uh, <clears throat> I learned to bleed cows up there. And then after that, I bled cows, you know, for their pretty much for the rest of my career. And uh, what is bleeding a cow? Taking a blood sample out of the neck. Oh, okay. And then eventually, you know, they eliminated taking. It took it out of the juggler vein. And then eventually. Uh, they had it perfected a way where you could take it out of the tail. They had a real fine needle with a real small vial, and there's a little groove under the tail. You stick it up in there, and it, it, uh, you, you, the blood comes out of it. And uh, incidentally, when I got hired on, there was uh, nine of us that they hired, and I'm the only one left. All the rest are dead. So why'd you decide to join the Department of Agriculture? I, you know, I wanted to work, I was working at Edgar Steel at the time when I was offered the job. And uh, then uh, I liked, you know, being with the, on the farm and I liked being out in the country and I liked traveling around and all that kind of stuff. And I, I, I just, I loved it. I'd do it today yet if I could. I guess I, you know, and I don't know, Whenever legislation is passed, and then 
you know, maybe some people are for the legislation, some people are against it. What was the, did the farmers realize how um, critical it was that brucellosis be eradicated, or what was their well, culture uh, ideas about it? Eventually, you know, every, every county had a county agent who was employed, part of his salary come from the state treasury and the other part come from the, from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, you know. Mm -hmm. And then the county agent, it was up to the county agent to instruct the, the farmers in his county as to the, to the what they call the brucellosis program, you know, and the TB program and that. And, and then eventually they instituted uh, sheep scab in, with it, and then of course hog cholera too. So, actually, you know, we are, we are we eradicated the whole thing. Once in a while, you might find a spot of TB, or very very seldom will you ever find any brucellosis. Sheep scab is completely eliminated, and hog cholera is completely eliminated. And I might say that's the only successful programs that the government has ever had. <laughs> that's true. But okay, so but Dad, no. Look at the border down there. <laughs> no, I, I mean it really was a successful. And yes, it, it certainly, was. Certainly, I mean you talk about um, you know from a human health perspective. I mean. Well, and with the animal industry too. You know, if you'd have continued on with the brucellosis and, and, you know, the calves aborting and that, you know, eventually they wouldn't have, you know, they couldn't have built their herds up. Right. But the other question, though, that I have is, you know, as a, you know, as a field um, person that you went to the ranches, you went to the farms, went to the sale, like, and, you know, I remember you as a child, you know, you would come home and you would have had meals and stuff with the people. I think that's kind of an important part of your experience and how you had to build um, well, a relationship. You know, yeah, you were you were uh, you were a public relations man for you represented the U.S. government, and you know how you conducted yourself had a lot to do with you know how you could make inroads and say you went into the county and started testing cows. You know the word gets around pretty fast. And they'll say, oh, he's kind of, you know, he's just a smart ass, you know, or he's a pretty nice guy, you know. Yeah. And uh, so, and then if you got along well with the county agent, the county agent would, uh, would uh, you know, put in a good word for it. I went up to McPherson County one time, that's up there at Eureka, to vaccinate a bunch of calves. We used to vaccinate the calves for brucellosis. We'd give them, uh, uh, what, what, strain 19, they called it. That was the vaccine, and uh, then there was a bunch of the farmers up there and ranchers up there wanted to get their calves vaccinated, and we hadn't tested, you know, farm to farm up there yet, and so they sent me up there, and I went to see the county agent, and he said, uh, you know, he said, I don't know, you know, how good luck you're going to have up here. He said, you know, he said they don't like uh, strange people coming into their area and that and telling them what to do. And he said, the only thing I can tell you this, he said, uh, the only way you can really get into the door and get into the house there, you either have to be a Watkins man or you have to be able to speak German. Uh -huh. <laughs> I said, well, I'm not a Watkins man, but I can speak German. And I got along real well up there, very good. Uh -huh. And did they, 
Okay. Do they like? Do the people usually invite you in for coffee? I mean, like, oh, what are yeah, some of your good experiences you know, with individuals? It's kind of. I think it's important to. Like, you know, a lot of the big herds. You know, you know, we would. There would always be a group of people, a group of men there. You know, and then we would go and have fabulous dinners. You know. Oh, yeah, and then a lot of times some of the women would bring coffee out and press cinnamon rolls and all that, you know, and it was it was good. And then sometimes, you know, when you worked in an area where you did small herds, you'd probably, you know, maybe uh, 10 or 15 cows or something like that. Then, uh, you know, you'd go from farm to farm in a hurry, and uh, sometimes you'd get in for dinner and sometimes you wouldn't. So mm -hmm. How about sometimes they'd chase you away, too. Uh, like how, like were you ever chased out of the place? Oh yeah. Like what? Give an example of that, if you can think of anything. Oh, I I guess the best example I got is uh, when I worked in Corson County. And uh, I got there on a Thursday. And then I stayed over the weekend because I didn't want to drive way back to Bridgewater, so I stayed the weekend, and there was a little church there in, in the Macintosh where I stayed. And uh, there was a, it was a North American Baptist church. Probably shouldn't say that. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so I went to church there. You know, and it was one of them old wood frame churches where, you know, they had an oil burner in there, and the pastor wasn't there that particular day. But there was a fellow there that was a, was a head deacon or something like that, and it was Children's Day, and they had a children's program, you know. And uh, so they uh, had the program, and this guy, he talked, you know, and spiritual things and all that, you know, prayed so nice and that. And, and uh, then after the church, he came and introduced himself to me, and I introduced myself to him, but I didn't tell him what I was there for. And uh, some more people were around there. And uh, the one thing that caught my eye, there was some old old guy sitting behind the oil burner, and there was a fly in there. And, you know, you know how the echoes in those little wooden churches, you know, all of got that fly, you know, and dropped it on the floor, and then he stomped on it, and boom. But anyway, you know. Well, so then I was going through my list, and... Uh, that Sunday evening, and then I see this guy's name on the list, this deacon, you know, that was so nice and spiritual and that. And so I thought, well, this is a good place to get started. So I went out and out to his place, you know, and oh my, oh my. You know, I, I learned some new cuss words and everything out there. <laughs> you know, and finally, finally, he just, finally, I didn't say anything. I just kept quiet and that. And then finally, he ordered me off the place, and then I left, you know. And then I got to thinking about it, you know, and then two days later, I had told Harry Kittleson, who was the sheriff there in, in Corson County, and so I went back out there again the next day, and then I got him straightened out, and then we got the cows tested. Uh, so did you ever, I, there's not too good a farming area down by the reservations down there? It was cattle country. Yeah, did you ever... Uh, have to go down there, or were you just more northern? On the reservation? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I was on the reservations. Up at McIntosh, up in Corson County, that was a Standing Rock Reservation. Mm -hmm. And then below that is the Cheyenne, Reser Cheyenne River Reservation. 
and that's all cattle country up there. There's a little farming up there, and uh, the, you know they gave those Indians that land up there to live on, you know, and it was there, and you can't make a living on there mm -hmm. unless you have a lot of cattle. Was that experience a lot different than just going to a regular farm up in? Oh yeah, when you came East River, you know, east of the Missis or the Missouri River. You know, then it was different, you know, there, then you almost found a, a farm, you know, in every quarter or every half section or something like that, you know, there were a lot of farmers there that, uh, and then I, I think probably one of the best places I tested was up in Corson County up there on the Standing Rock Reservation, got along up there real good, and then another good place that I tested, I enjoyed it real well, was down on the Rosebud Reservation in Todd County down in that area, in the Mission area. That was good. And then I vaccinated a lot of calves on the Pine Ridge Reservation and also on the Rosebud Reservation. And then of course I, they sent me to different states, you know, to do a lot of testing. I went up to, uh, up to northeast uh, corner of Utah, up in the Bear Lake and the Bear River country and tested a lot of cows up there, up there with the Mormon people. Good people, it was a good place to work. I enjoyed that up there, it was really good. Uh, how do you, when you went to go test the cattle in Pine Ridge, how different is it today than when we drove by there in that RV? The reservation, how do you mean? Like, has anything really changed from just looking at the reservation? Uh, or is it just still in a stalemate? It's pretty much today like it is, it was in 1960. You know, nothing, they built some new buildings and then they let them go to pieces and that. And, <laughs> and there's no farming there, there's no farming there. You know, I'd, you know, the government don't treat them right. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, they have a real fine hospital there in Pine Ridge, you know, but they can't, they can't find doctors, you know, to to stay there and uh, do the doctoring there. What they do is, you know, this, uh, what do they call that? Uh, Welcome. Uh, Indian Health Service, and then, you know, they, they help you through medical school, and then you're obligated uh -huh. to go over there for a couple of years, and they get, get guys like that, you know. But, you know, if you're a young doctor and you have a young wife, you know, and you live out there on the reservation, you know, and you're 50 miles from any place that, you know, looks like a rapid city is the closest place. Mm -hmm. And uh, the roads aren't all that great anymore, aren't, you know, so it's hard to get people out there. They, I, I often think that they should put up a, quite a village, you know, for those health service people so they have a nice place to live. Yeah. Uh the, so how long would you be gone? Would you be gone for weeks at a time? or? Yeah, I'd be gone from Monday morning until Friday evening. And you had all your kids at this point? Yeah. Did Lila's care at yeah. all? Or? Well, you know, when I, before I took the job, you know, we talked it over, you know, and I knew that I would be gone for, you know, quite a bit of the time, you know, and and we agreed that when I retired, you know, then we would spend all the time together we could, you know. And uh, then towards uh, uh, the last part of, of my career, I got to be home a lot, you know. 
so. And there weren't cell phones and stuff, so. Oh, God, no. There was no cell phones and no, uh, no GPSs or anything like that. Thank goodness there wasn't. Because <laughs> if you got, you know, if you got out of the house or out of the motel before 8 and got back after 5, you know, they couldn't get a hold of you. So you were kind of on your own. Mm-hmm. You, know, you were your own boss. And you got to got to the point, you know, where everybody had their own program going. You know, everybody kind of did everything their own way. You know, mm-hmm. and but uh, they still, but they still took care of it. Oh yeah. And um, can you talk a little bit about how what kind of record keeping you did? You know, I mean, if you had a cow, how would you identify the cow? Well, when you tested the cows. You know, every cow had to have an ear tag in it. If it didn't have an ear tag in it, then you'd put a tag in it. And then you'd read the number in the ear tag, and then you'd put it in your book. You say it was uh, cow number five and tube number five, and then you'd have put down the ear tag, and then you'd, well, the 33A was uh, was the test chart, and then you'd fill it out on the test chart, and then you would submit it with the, with the blood samples. So there was no um, other than the form. No, we, no, we didn't. We didn't. We didn't have, we didn't have laptops or anything. Like we didn't that. barcode them or anything. No, like we that. didn't. No. Uh-huh. And no. then, so then, where would you send those to? What lab? Well, sometimes uh, we, uh, when we were working on the Todd in Todd County and up there in uh, Corson County. We had a serologist up there that tested the blood, and we would rent a place, you know, and use it as a lab. Oh, okay. And then we didn't have to mail it in. Otherwise, we could mail it to Pier, we could mail it to Aberdeen, or we could mail it to Sioux Falls. We had a lab here in Sioux Falls. Uh-huh. Did those um, blood samples, then, did you, the report, where did the report go then? Did it well, if they if the if they were negative, they sent you the yellow copy, you know, that you uh-huh. knew they were negative, and then they recorded out at Pier in the office. And if then there was a reactor suspect in there or something, then they'd send you the chart back, and you'd either have to go out. And uh, after 30 days, you'd retest the suspect, or you'd have to go out, and you'd have to brand the reactor. And then they'd have to subject the whole herd for a test again after a 30-day period, because it took 30 days for the disease to incubate. Oh, really? Okay, so, but... The system remained, though, that if they had brucellosis, yeah. they'd brand them with a B. Brand them with a B. But they could choose not to do that, too. Oh, the, after they passed, the legislature passed the law, they had to do it. Oh, they had to do it, yeah. brand it with a B. And then were those, did they kill those cows? or was They butchered them, yeah. They they'd could go, take them meat. to the packing plant. And then, the and then they had, they had, a, they had, they had a special pin for them at the stockyards or sale barns and stuff. If you had a reactor, you know, and you took it to market, you know, and then they would, you know, you'd give them, give the guy that wrote them up the papers, and then they would put them in this special pin, and then they sold them last. After all the other cows had been sold, they sold them last, and then they went, you know, so they wouldn't get mixed up with any other breeding stock or anything like that. Expose them. And then at the packing plants, they would kill them last too. The other thing is, I was wondering about was, um, is brucello- can brucellosis be transmitted to 
humans as a disease other than come up through undulant fever? Uh, sometimes, uh, very, very seldom. Unless you know you might vaccinate yourself, you know. Because I thought, give yourself a as a little accident. girl, though, or a young woman, or a young teen, I thought you had brucellosis. I did, I did. I had a titer, what they called a titer, because I run a syringe in my hand one time up in here, and I squirted a bunch of straight 19 in there. Because it took a while for them to figure that out, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and then, uh, <laughs> then the sheep scab was an interesting thing, too. We went around and uh, looked at all the sheep flocks in the state. And, of course, at that time, you know, about every farm, you know, that was before the days of all this good weed spray and stuff, you know, and what, every little, every farm, you know, usually had a couple sheep, you know, to keep the weeds down and stuff around the yard, and you'd have to go and look at those sheep. There was a... And uh, sheep scab was really, boy, it was hot. You know, it was it was really going through the country. You know. What is it exactly? Well, it's it's a mite. It's a mite, and then it gets into the skin on the sheep, kind of on the back or in the rump, you know, or the side. And uh, as, as you watch the sheep, you know, if you're observing for sheep scab, you know, if you watch them and they're reaching back and they're pulling at the wool and stuff like that, you know, well then you catch them. And then you take a look and you find that that mite is a real, you know, you can't see it unless you have a magnifying glass, but the mite works in a circle. And then it would work around and around and you could, it would leave a little scab and then you could identify it. And then you had, you'd take a scraping of it and then you'd put it on a piece of carbon paper and then you had a magnifying glass that you looked down on there. And if there was a mite in there, you could see it. Uh -huh. And then they would dip them if they had it. But we had a guy that, uh, these guys that had these small flocks, you know, they would never keep a ram, you know, and they would rent a ram from somebody. And there was a Watkins man over at Minnow who had a couple sheep bucks, you know, and then he would rent them out. <laughs> Those sheep bucks had scab. And then he spread scab around the country, you know, and we, you know, we couldn't catch him. And I spent a whole week over in that Minnow area, in that Hutchison County area, there looking for him one time, you know, trying to catch him out in the country sometime with those sheep. And finally I ran on to him, you know, and he had those two grams in the back seat of his car. <laughs> What did he say, Dad? Huh? What did he really? say? I didn't know anything about that. <laughs> said, no, say you're losing a little wool. So, uh, then another time I was up in uh, Mead County looking at sheep. And the big flocks up there, big herds of sheep up there. And anyway, I got to this one ranch. And I, you know, he told me that they, he showed me where they would water. You know, they had a great big stock pond and dam down in there and uh, he said in, in the mornings you know it was cool and the mite only worked when it was cool you know and so he said uh, you get down here early enough in the morning he said then the whole flock will be down there and then you can watch them that's okay so then I got out there real early in the morning before the sun came up and I parked and I 
had a pair of field glasses and I watched the sheep, you know, and that. And I suppose I spent about maybe, well, I suppose three hours there looking at the sheep. And then he had told me, he said, when you get done, he said, come by the, the house and we'll have breakfast. Okay. So I went by the house and there was the man and the lady in there, and they're very nice people. And we had a real good breakfast. And then when they got done eating, you know, uh, we sat around, had coffee, and telling, talking, and this and that. And they each had a had a uh, a bowl, you know, and it was full of vitamins. And then they each had their own bowl, and each one would be taking vitamins, <laughs> you know. And uh, yeah, I said, you, I said you're using a lot of vitamins. Well, yeah, he said you got to have them, you know. That's you know, essential in life, you know. Well, a year later, I went back there, and they were both dead. <laughs> yeah, isn't it something? Yeah. But, you know, um, the other thing is that um, at that time, okay, so when you took the job, was there officially a Department of Agriculture? Oh, yeah, yeah. There was a Secretary of Agriculture? Oh, yeah, yeah. Who was the Secretary of Agriculture? Do you remember I don't, I, I don't remember. I, the only one I really remember is Ezra Benson. He used to tell off-colored stories. <laughs> was and he a national figure? Yeah, he was, you know, and then they finally, you know, I think he told a, a racist story or something like that, and then they finally had to get rid of him. <laughs> when, how, uh, how many years did you work? For the 32 department? years. 32 years, and I had 30 cars. All Fords? Had a Ford Chevy, had one Studebaker Lark for a short time, and then I had one, I think it was a 79 Plymouth. That was really a good car. See, the government provided. The government mm -hmm. provided the cars, yeah. We would drive, I would drive maybe 80 to 90,000 miles a year. All kinds of roads, all kinds of weather, and uh, the cars—it was just, just a car. It had a heater, and three speeds and a clutch. No radio or anything like that. Nothing, no frills on it. And then finally, they got around to where they had uh, bought them, and they had radios in them. You know, so you could keep track of the of the weather. You know, cheap little AM ra ra radios. The only one you could thing you could get with Yankton. And uh, then uh, then eventually they came out and they had air conditioning in them too. So towards the end, you know, they got to be pretty fancy, those cars. But then, Dad, I, re I recall when you had to go to Arkansas because of a hog cholera breakout. Missouri. Or Missouri, okay. Yeah. Missouri, they had an outbreak of hog cholera down there and it went down there and eradicated the hogs down there. That was another interesting deal. And it got down in there in that Willow Springs and uh, West Plains area. And that's big hillbilly country down there. And then these, a uh, uh, lot of them hillbillies, you know, they would have, that's a lot of scrub oak is the, the trees down there. And then they dropped those acorns, you know. And then they had a lot of hogs that would forage on those haw on those acorns and then a lot of me couldn't get them pinned up or anything and you had to go down and shoot them and we had a 30-06 and I would go you know and we would shoot those hogs 
And then we had a rendering truck there, and he would pull them up into the truck and that. And uh, I was at this one place one time, and this little boy and I, we were out there shooting hogs, you know, his hogs, you know, we went back to the house, and there was uh, the mother and the daughter, and uh, had the best tans they ever saw, but they were bare to the waist, <laughs> you know. And then, boy, oh boy, she got after me. Oh my, that lady got after me. Why? And then, then the, the dad would say, now, Ma, Ma, don't mean mouth the boy. You know, Ma? Because you were killing the hogs. I was killing the hogs. But they paid for all of the hogs and everything, you know, so. The federal government did. And then they had those pole hogs down there, you know. That was kind of an interesting thing, too. And then you went. You know what a pole hog is? No. You ever seen a pole hog? Mm -mm. They would take a pole, uh, take a long pole. Then they'd stick it up the hog's ass, and then they'd hold them up in the tree so they could get the egg horns. Oh. <laughs> That's a joke. Uh, a dirty joke. A dirty joke. <laughs> Dad, talk about, like, when you had to then, um, he had to go to Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Then I went to Lancaster, Pennsylvania for a couple months, and uh, they had the avian influenza there in the chickens. And then we we eradicated all of the chickens in Lancaster County. We went over into New Jersey, and we went to uh, we killed a bunch of turkeys over at Harrisonburg, Virginia. Yeah, and we killed millions of chickens. You know, they had those great big laying houses over there, and we just killed a lot of chickens. My, that was something. So, how'd you go about that? The chickens? Yeah. How you you didn't just shoot them, did you? No, no. That we didn't really know how to do that, you know, until we got out there, we got to looking it over, and then we got, you know, like these big dumpsters, like your dad gets those big dumpsters, yep. you know. We Out of New Jersey, there was an outfit that had those big dumpsters, and so they hired them, and we bought them, and then we would throw the chickens in there and run CO2 gas in there to gas them, you know, so they died. And then we would get a dumpster full, and they'd come and pick it up, and then they'd take it out to the landfill. And then we hired kids out of Philadelphia to catch the chickens, you know, in the cages and take them and throw them in the dumpster and that. And Is that the same thing you did with the sheep, or did you...? No, uh, sheep, we never killed any sheep. Even the ones with the... Uh... Uh, you could dip them. You know, you'd dip them. And then that, that would eliminate the, the mites. So what, what does dipping entail? Oh, it's a big vat, and it has... Uh, some chemicals in there and stuff, you know, that you mix up and according to whatever the formula is, and then it you run the sheep through there and get them soaked and dunk them, and and uh, that kills the mites. And then the cattle you take to like, uh, say John Morales, and they kill them there. Or? Yeah, most of the cattle would haul in. A lot of them would take them to the stockyards or take them to a livestock auction out in the West River country. And eventually they ended up in a packing plant someplace, you know, and they killed. That probably wasn't the healthiest thing to do, was it? What? Bring them to a packing plant? Why? Where are they? Well, they have inspectors there, and they killed them last. And then, of course, as they went through the line on the rail, you know, they inspected them, you know. And the meat, brucellosis don't harm the meat. Oh, okay. 
So it, they, it just affects the reproductive organs. So would they would they sell that meat then? Oh yeah. Oh. But then, um, the, then there was the buffalo herd. Oh yeah, we tested buffalo. Yeah, we. Yeah, I helped test. Uh, first time I I helped. First time we tested the buffalo out in Custer Park and Wind Cave Park, I was out there. And there was quite a bit of brucellosis in the buffalo herd then, you know, when they were really, you know, slinging a lot of calves and that. And when finally, you know, got it eradicated, now, you know, where I think every female has a calf, you know, and we've eliminated that. And also all of the replacement stock and that, they vaccinate all of them for uh, brucellosis. So, yeah. And then, of course, there were quite a few, quite a few uh, independent people had herds of buffalo, you know, that would raise them and sell the buffalo meat and things like that. There's a fellow over here at Plano that had <laughs> some buffalo, you know, God, they were mean. And he had some big old, big old strong corrals, you know, and they'd get him corralled up in there, you know. And then in order to get them chased into the runway and the chute and that, you know, you couldn't get in there with them and you couldn't get in there with a the horse because they'd run you over, you know. And so he had an old pickup, an old Chevy pickup that he used, he drove around in the corral, you know, to chase them in there. And I saw one time one big bull, you know, got his head and horns under that pickup and he tipped it over <laughs> on the side. Um, you know what, Dad, did... People did. Was it the responsibility then of the farmers to make sure you had access to? They the had to restrain their cattle. Yep. When I first started, you know, first started bleeding up in uh, Coddington County, we had no cattle shoots, we had no head catches or anything like that, and we'd have. To, if the farmer didn't have any facilities, then we'd have to rope them. Uh huh. So you'd have to rope? Yeah, rope them, and then you had a nose leader, you'd catch them by the nose. And that, I remember one guy who they hired, he was a state guy, and they hired him, and he uh, had never been around cattle before. And he went out and he was roping some cows, and of course you expect the farmer to hold the rope or hold this rope or that rope, you know. Well, all at once he looked around and there was nobody else in the barn but him. <laughs> He just walked out of the barn, got in his car, and went home. Quit. Oh, really? Here, um, I just want to show Will what a, a shoot looks like. Oh, shoot, here. Um, okay, that is much more sophisticated. When Dad, he used to pull a chute behind his truck or mm -hmm. his car. His was, wasn't yours wooden initially wooden, with steel? The first, the first ones we had, they called Dixie Chutes, and they were made out of wood. But then, then we got real, you know, eventually we got real good chutes. See, because like, look, I don't know if you can see that one there. That's a, like an all steel now. Or oh, yeah, that's a hydraulic one, you know. So that. like when you were out testing those buffalo out on Custer, it was pretty primitive, I bet, compared well, to how. Well, they no, did. what they had, they had uh, Powder River, had a, a big heavy-duty chute that they used for buffalo and that. And then in front of the chute, they had they had a big steel door, about a foot away from the front of the chute. And then when that buffalo would come through the chute, 
that door would be there, you know, and the first thing they would do is hit that door, and then they'd kind of bounce back, and then the guy would catch him, you know, by the head, you know, with those, those buffaloes. Do you know what year that that became more of a tourist attraction? Oh, I suppose maybe uh, the late 80s or something like that. The Buffalo Roundup? Yeah. Would you have any desire to go out there and see it again mm -hmm. since you participated? No. Did they use horses to round it's up? It's all fake, no. <laughs> you know, at that time, it was real stuff. You know, they had guys on horses, and they had guys on those uh, mountain bikes and airplanes and all that. And that was quite a deal, because it's hard to round up buffalo, isn't not it? Not no, not no. You know, they got ways, you know. People don't know it, you know, but they... I think they give them a little cake, you know, occasionally, you know, and they kind of lure them around, you know, and, uh -huh. and uh, buffalo, are, buffalo are a lot like cows, you know, they act on instinct, you know, you feed them a little extra, you know, and then they'll follow you around. And but they graze differently than cows. How do, you, how do you mean? Well, cows will eat one patch, and then they'll go eat another patch. This is what I've read where buffalo will move and eat and not just wear down one patch. Just take a bite and then go? Yeah. No, something about the buffalo well, yeah, graze true. the prairie in a way that preserves the prairie. Yeah. I mean, I know that's kind of a long shot. But buffalo, buffalo are a very powerful animal. Did you ever get, did one ever come at you where? No. No, I never got into, never I never got in the corral with them, I'll tell you that. What about with a bull? A ho a or cow? A bull got me down one time up in uh, Day County. Got me down in uh, in the barn. A young Angus bull bumped me down. And, and then, of course, you know, a bull will, you know, he'll hit you with your head and try to crush you, you know. <laughs> and, and so then I rolled in the gutter. You know, and then he couldn't couldn't get at me, and he, then he he left, and I got out of there. But yeah, and I got kicked numerous times and bumped numerous times. Had a guy I worked with. He was working some cattle one time, and one of the cows swung its head, and its its nose caught his nose, and just laid it right over. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, I, and I, so he finished, you know, he fin finished the job, and then he went home. He lived in Mitchell, and uh, got his nose set and all that, you know. And then he kept working, you know. But then he he got a hold of a football helmet with a guard on it, and it was the craziest thing, you know, to see him driving down the road, you know, with that football helmet on and that guard, and he would, you know, work that way. But then, you know, you know, just to kind of help the story along here a little bit, as all the diseases were eradicated, and oh, then the large animal diseases were eradicated, then well, it then, moved on to... Then things slowed down, you know. We had uh, the biggest share of, of the counties in South Dakota, brucellosis free. You know, there was a few of them yet that had some, some uh, reactors and stuff in them, you know, but... And then there was some uh, 
ladies, old ladies out in, uh, out in the east part of the country that got to feeling sorry for the dogs and cats. And then they uh, petitioned Congress to write an Animal Welfare Act, you know, to protect the, the kitties and the puppies and all that. And so then uh, they had a hearing out there one time, and uh, I got to go out there to that hearing. And those old ladies, you know, were all fixed up with their big rings and earrings and all in that. In Washington? You know. In Washington, yeah. And they were whimpering and whining, you know, about, you know, the dogs are being mistreated, the cats are mistreated. And so then, then Congress passed the Animal Welfare Act, and then some lawyers out there wrote the law. It was uh, CFR 19, I think it is. And uh, then uh, they, if, if, you, if you raised puppies, you know, if you had three bitches or more, then you had to be licensed. And then that, would, that was a bee license. Mm -hmm. And then if you were a puppy broker, that went around and bought your puppies and then shipped them to a, a puppy uh, uh, pet store, then you, that was uh, an A license. And then there was quite a few here in South Dakota as we got to digging around, you know. And uh, then I was the puppy and cat inspector for quite a while here in the state, you know, all over the state. You know, you want to meet some weird people, <laughs> you know. Go to these ladies that had these catteries. Oh, they, the they catteries. Were weird. They were real. They were weird, you know. They were, I, there was one over here just south of Sioux Falls, a ways. I'm not going to tell the town. But anyway, you'd go into the cattery, you know, and then, oh, you know, and then the cats would be up sitting on shelves on, on the wall, you know, and you'd walk by and they'd snarl at you, you know, <laughs> and at you. And, oh, boy. Then there was a lady that she and her husband, they raised some dogs. They lived, you know, Dallas, South Dakota. That's out in Gregory County. And they lived south of Dallas, almost to the Nebraska line. And uh, they had dogs. And so then they, we found out, and so I went down there and made the initial investigation. And she was weird. She was weird. And then uh, the second time I went back there, we were walking, you know, where she had the dogs, and she had chow dogs. And then she picked one up, and she says, oh, my, oh, my, he, what's wrong with him? His tongue is blue. You know, well, all the chow dogs have blue. <laughs> <laughs> you know. So then uh, I had to, you know, you had to fill out papers and all this and that and the different things, you know. So then I... Uh, Got, she got me in the house, you know, and I thought, boy, that was a risky business. I, I shouldn't have, but anyway, she got, I was sitting like, you know, kind of against the wall, and she was behind me, and then she would rub back and walk behind me, you know, and she would rub her breasts against my head. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I just couldn't wait to get out of there. Well, anyway, I got out of there, and uh, then... Uh, in other 30 days, I went back there, you know, and uh, I wasn't going to go in the house. I knew that. But then she would walk with me, and then she would fall against me and hang on to me. 
And she'd say, I just had cataracts and I had trouble. I stumble and all. No, I didn't mean to. Well, then uh, I got ready to go and they had some lilac bushes and I was parked beyond the lilac bushes. And then when I went out to the car, you know, I was just at the car and she hollered at me, you know, just a minute, just a minute. She said, I want to show you something. And she had a sack, a paper sack. And then she had a, a jar of honey in there. And she said that uh, they have, somebody has bees on their farm and that they have this honey, you know. And then she said, you can have this. And I said, no, I, I don't care for it, you know. Well, and you we can't have, as a federal employee. We have all it. kinds of honey at home. I said, and I, I just can't take it. You know, well, then I was looking at the honey. And, I saw, and all at once I heard a camera click. And I knew it's, he had taken my picture, Bob. Was Scott there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, uh, so I said, who, who took my picture? <laughs> so then I said, you know, somebody took my picture, I told her. And I said, I want that picture. I want that film, and I want it right now, you know. And she said, oh, maybe, you know, I'll see what Bob says. Well, Bob, yeah, Bob, 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 he was in the house, you know. And, uh, you know, did you take a picture? And, and, uh, and Bob said, no, I didn't. I said, the hell you didn't. Mm -hmm. I said, you know, you either give me that film or I'll tear the whole damn house apart before <laughs> I, you know, until I get it, uh -huh. you know. And I said, another thing, I said, I'll call the sheriff. Well, then he come with the cameras, one of them Instamatic cameras. They had, <laughs> you know. And so then I took the film out and I took it with me. Mm -hmm. What was he going to do with it? Well, they were gonna. They were gonna blackmail him sure or something, or say sure that and give it to the government. And yeah. Say you took a bribe. Yeah, and so then uh, I came back here to Sioux Falls, and I went right to Harold's and had it developed. You know, and sure enough, there was that picture of me holding mm -hmm. that honey. And then, uh, so then, you know, when I went back in thirty days, I, whatever picture was on there that belonged to them, I let them have it. I kept the negatives. And then I also bought a new film for him, and I took it out there, and I gave it to him. Mm -hmm. Oh, she said, oh, doctor, we're so sorry, doctor, doctor. And I said, cut the shit out. I said, and let's get going here, you know. And Did they have kind of questionable... Um, oh, they were weird. I mean, but were their facilities a bit questionable? No, dogs are good. Uh-huh. Dogs are okay. Well, then there was a Dallas, South Dakota, you know. They have... Uh, the go-go dancers there at Dallas. Mm -hmm. You know, they have a bar there. You know there. what a go-go dancer yeah. is? Yeah, yeah. Okay. okay, so they had go-go dancers there. And then there was one of the go-go dancers that lived there. She had some dogs. <laughs> In the house? Yeah. They, what, did like, they? Like, like, your, like your Aunt Judy. Yeah, did they, did they welcome in the house? Well, anyway... Um, so then I have to look at the dogs, and she had a kennel outside too. And I looked at the kennel, looked at the dogs, and then finally, I had to get her to sign some papers in that. And I knocked on the door, knocked on the door, and finally she says, "I'm in bed." She said, "I've been dancing all night." <laughs> and so uh, she said, "Come on in." So I went in, and sure enough, she was in bed. And so she signed the papers, and I went on my way. Golly. Dallas is the only town that I know of that has a, the water tower right in the middle of the town. 
You ever been near Will? I don't know. I've definitely heard of it. I know some people from Dallas, but I don't think I've ever been what there. What do you know from Dallas? Uh, just some college kids. Is it Cowboys? <laughs> no, no. They're not. Mm-hmm. They're not everybody from How Dallas. can they help but be? Not be. Are they ranch kids? Yeah, they lived on ranches. Yep, but, uh... Then there was, at Carter, South Dakota, there was, uh, got a word that in going through the, the puppy broker, the dog broker, you know, that uh, he had bought some pups, some uh, Boston Terrier pups from a lady at Carter, South Dakota. And I, you know, I asked him, I said, how many dogs she got? He said, well, she just got two bitches. And... Uh, so I went out that country one time, and I stopped there at Carter, that's beyond winter, and uh, got to the place, and very nice, elderly couple, very nice, friendly people, you know, and I told them what I was there for, you know, and about the dogs, and, oh, yeah, 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 she said, uh, I, I forget the dog's name, but has pups now, you know, I said, why could I see them, and she said, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. so she opened the closet door, and there they were. <laughs> what kind of dogs were they? Boston Boston Terriers. Cute little dogs. There must have been money in that. To there see. was. There was. And uh, so then uh, the other dog, you know, the other dog was pregnant and that. And I said, well, where do you keep her? And she said, well, we've got another closet over in the house there. And they said, but, you know, I never, I never, ever, uh, uh, wrote her up for a license or a violation or anything because they were such nice people mm-hmm. and those dogs were living better than a lot of people I, I <laughs> run on to that were living you know so I never you know had those dogs there in the closet oh golly well how often did you have to write people up huh stuff like that? how often did you have to write people up for stuff like that oh I don't know maybe a dozen times in your whole career? Yeah. Yeah. There was a lady over a trip that, uh, golly, she was dirty. But she had dogs, and she had a bunch of dogs. And it wasn't was, Lauren in Uganda? Huh? Wasn't Lauren in Uganda when she went there to do surgery? There was some tourist kidnapped. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What, were you, what were you saying? And anyway, this lady had these dogs, you know, and there was, you know, I told her she had to get it fixed up or, you know, I'd have to pull her license from her, you know. And then she had a time and, oh, golly, we went in the house, you know, and, uh, oh, God, it was dirty. And uh, so I, finally I went back again and there had been no improvement. And so I said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to come back in 15 days. And if the dogs are still here, or if there hasn't been any improvement done, then you're going to have to get rid of the dogs, and I'll, I'll get the sheriff, and we'll make sure that they get out of here. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I went back in 15 days, and the dogs are gone. I said, where are the dogs at? She said, I took them to the Humane Society in Yankton. <laughs> and so then I went to Yankton, and I went to the Humane Society. Oh, the guy said, you're the guy. 
<laughs> this lady came in with a pickup, and she had a bed spring over the top of the pickup, you know, and it had all these dogs in there. Uh-huh. And then they put all those dogs, you know, in their kennels and that. And a lot of them they put to sleep, and then some of them they uh, adopted they out. Uh, they? A lot of them were sick. And what kind of dogs were they? Then? All kinds of dogs. How many were there? I suppose there might have been two dozen, something like that. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, um, kind of on a side note, I don't know if I'm going to be included in this oral yeah. history, but... Um, as a kid, you know, you have your dad gone during the week and then you come home. Well, on Friday when you come home, like he'd come in the house and he'd, with his coat, he'd say, I have a cat wrapped up in this coat. And here he'd have a puppy or a dog or something yeah, like that. Dog. Um, or then once, I think once, didn't you bring a calf home? No, no. But one of the things that I think we did as, you know, a family as a result of dad's um, work and his interest in agriculture and his farm background was we lived on the edge of Bridgewater and we had an acreage. And so we'd have sheep, yep. we'd have calves, we had horses, quarter horses, we had yep. Shetland ponies, yep. we had chickens, yep. we had ducks. Wait, yep. you had that... You didn't live on the farm. No. No, but we but lived on like an acreage area yeah, on the edge had, of Bridgewater. I, I, yeah, I thought right I'd bought I bought some lots, you know, mm-hmm. for little or nothing, and we used that. And so, like, there was where our house was, you know, like here's our house. Yep. Like right here, and then there was a big lot, kitty corner, another lot right mm-hmm. behind us, and then... You know, we had a pretty good-sized lot. But then, so, like, we got some Shetland ponies, and then they were fenced in over here, and there's a little barn for them here, you know. And mm-hmm. that's kind of how we learned how to ride. Yeah. And then we had on our, this was our house, and then over here was another sh- um, shed, and the sheep were over there, you know. And we'd have twins. Yep. And then, um, and then... Um, once we had a calf, and then um, this one sheep we had, it was a, a a Hampshire. We had Suffolk and Hampshire, and his name was Bucky. Bucky Boo. Bucky Boo, and we'd shear him for the wool and stuff, you know, and all that. But he got an alfalfa patch. He was like a dog almost. He'd run up on the back steps. Yeah. And um, he bloated. He got bloated. He never really recovered after that. Yeah, and then I stuck a needle in, there, in him, you know, and let the air out. His stomach, because he got bloated, yeah. you know. How did you know how to do that? I don't know. You grew up on the farm. You know those things. Well, then, and then, then we got, you know, it was really exciting because we got, had those two Shetlands, you know, and if you ever learn to ride on a Shetland, what you do is you work them and work them and work them to get them away from that place where they want to be. And then you turn them around, and then they just take off running back. Shetlands, you know, have a mind of their They're own. They're so stubborn. So we would learn to run. And then they'd buck and stuff and try to knock you off. And then when the they trees. got tired of it, then they'd run under that willow tree, you know. And knock and us off. And knock you know. all off. Well, then, um, then Dad bought us a buckskin quarter horse, which is kind of a... 
you know, you know what buckskin, mm. you know, kind of yep. like this, you know. Like Matt Dillon's horse. It yeah. had a nice dark mane and yep. nice, nice riding quarter horse. And then um, we got a... Um, got another, a younger horse, uh, TJ. TJ. Quarter horse, too. Uh-huh. And then we had to break him. He wasn't. Who who did she the wasn't rideable. Well, we Not had to help, kind of. I guess. Yeah. I, well, but uh, I, I'll never forget. Though a storm was coming, and we had the horses staked out, and then Dad said, "Hang on." <laughs> to um, TJ was the horse's name, and TJ went up in the air. I got pulled right up in the air. <laughs> then we had we had that dog Duke, you know. Yeah. And then Duke got to sniffing around on the DJ's back legs, and, and TJ kicked him yeah, in the head. Yeah, kicked him in a bad eye. Then, then Duke went home. But, uh, but the, the quarter horses, though, then we would go out to a saddle club. Um, mm -hmm. and, you know, yeah. right. But the one thing, you know, the, I mean, those and having those sheep and then the shearing and, you know, then ducks. You know, and I hated ducks even. I didn't want them. But I got these ducks, 10 of them, as babies, and I was kind of half afraid of them, you know. And I filled a swimming pool with water, and the water was too cold, and their legs got got all stiff. frozen. We had to add warm water. But remember when they were about half grown, you know, how they would disappear for the day? You know, and they would be out in the weeds and all that, you know, around there getting bugs and stuff, you know. And then about in the evening, you know, you'd hear quacking, you know, and they'd come waddling back, you know, back to the yard again to where they belonged. Yeah. Who was the, out of your children, who was the best with the animals that you had? Or did you do everything, pretty much? Well, I don't ever remember feeding anything. I think I took care of everything. Oh, okay. Scott, well, Scott is kind of a wuss, though. Yeah, because I of that stuff. But I think they, you know, I don't ever remember having to do much with them other than. No, they had grass, you know, and uh, horses, you know, they don't, they don't take a lot of care, you know, you know, they ate grass all summer long, and they, you know, had plenty of water, and then in the winter time, you'd supplement them a little with some horse ration and, and hay and that, and they, horses are good keepers. Mm -hmm. Well, you know. You know, when I think back, you know, <coughs> I think, oh, what a great life that was. Yeah. You know, I mean, we, you know, even though, you know, Dad was gone during the week and stuff a lot, but then it got to where he wasn't gone so much. But, you know, and if we got dropped off at school in the government car, we thought yeah. that was a big deal, you know, riding <laughs> in the government car. But I think the thing is, you know, this whole agricultural thing, you know, to be able to have experienced that as a kid and not really lived on a farm, you yeah. know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, those are, those are really good memories. And yeah. then riding horses in the wintertime, you know. Yeah. And, you know, that TJ was younger and would like to really run, but Buck didn't want to have, have him ahead of um, him. So Buck would always pull up at least ahead. You know, and riding with Keith was fun because Keith was real gutsy, you know. And he would do all kinds of... You know, and that buck, you know, one thing about him, you know, he would try to intimidate you, you know. Yeah. And a horse, you know, you try to catch him, you know. 
then he'd flare his nostrils at you, you know, and blow at you, you know, or try to scare you, you know, they tried to intimidate you. You know, we were lucky, though, because, you know, we had saddles and harness. We had, you know, and that's, I don't know how you guys afforded all that stuff. Golly. I mean, because when you think about it, those things, you know, having animals mm -hmm. now yeah. oh, would no, be no. almost impossible. I guess it was the times, you know. But um, but Dad really knew how to handle animals, too, and that oh, made a huge yeah. difference. Yeah. yeah. Like mom used to say, my mom, well, your daddy really knows how to feed and feed animals <laughs> and bring them back to life, except for Dante and um, Kaiser. Yeah. Well, Dante. Well, he knew how to feed Dante. Dante knew how to eat. Yeah. He ate good, pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, but he's fat. Yeah, and but he knew how to eat. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the dog I got now doesn't. He's not hungry ever, really. Until he comes to my house. <laughs> And then he Who, eats. Zeus? Yeah, that's Zeus. why. He, that's why he sleeps so much. Cause Zeus he, eats all the time. <laughs> you know, he comes over to last night. Scott helped me put a shelf together. He came over. He was so busy drinking their water, like, you know, practically drink all the water, <laughs> like it's like gonna go away or something. Then he gets in the house and he's wanting to eat their food. Jim Jr. has to fight him back. <laughs> but um. Yeah, it was, um, and I remember one time when we picked up this calf, and this is kind of separate, and we had a, at that time, we had a red Ford Fairlane, a 61 red Ford Fairlane, and Dad hauled the calf in the back seat home Yeah. from where he bought it. We were embarrassed, kind of. <laughs> so, uh, you married Lilas at, you were 22? So in 53? No, he... 20. 20? 20. Oh. Because I was born in 53. You were born in 53? Yeah, they got 20. married in September of 51. Okay. Right? Yeah. And then how many years did you go overseas? One year. One year? Okay. So then when you came back, you worked at that steel mill? I worked at Acre Steel. Yeah. Was that in, that's in Bridgewater? Or no, what? that's here in town. Oh, it is? Out there, over there by McKinnon Hospital. Oh, okay. It was... Is that know, still up? Oh, it's still running, yeah, yeah. It was, it was a good place to work. I enjoyed it. I learned how to weld there and, you mm -hmm. know, work with steel and all that stuff. And it was a fabrication place. And at that time, you know, there was a lot of uh, highway building and uh, we made a lot of bridge beams and things like that, you know. It was it was a good place to work. I had decided I was going to have a career there. And then I got offered this job with the feds. And it's the best thing you ever did, I think. Yeah, it is. But, you know, here's the thing, you know, when Dad got out of the military then, didn't you go to, did you go to SDSU right away? Or did you work at Edgar Steele? No, I went to... Uh, when I got out of service, I went, I got out in March, and then that summer, I kind of, like Uncle Paul, I kind of floated around, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then I went to North Dakota to harvest up there, and I went to Fargo to the employment office there, and they said there's a fellow that needs a combine operator over at Agate, North Dakota. 
And I said, well, I'm his man. I'd never operated a combine. And so I went over there, and the guy's name was Otto Simonson. He was about 80 years old. And uh, he had a co-op cockshot combine, self-propelled. And uh, so then he hired me, and we got the combine ready. And the first field we combined was a, a half a mile field of barley. And we went north, and the wind was from the south. There was no cab or anything on there. And all of that dust came up over the top of me, you know, and the barley beards and stuff. And I thought, well, when I get to the end here now, I'm going to get off and go home. Mm -hmm. But then I stayed there. And finished helping, com you know, finished combining and all that stuff. I think we combined about 800 acres. Uh, so when you would go to these places uh, to work on their cattle, South Dakota kind of has, I mean, no one really likes the government. Uh, I mean, was that the case? Were people really skeptical? Well, you know, you know, farmers are very, in farmers, ranchers are very independent people. Mm -hmm. You know, and they don't like to be told what to do or anything like that. <coughs> and you had to kind of educate them. You know, you'd ask them if they had had any, you know, slunk, any slunk, uh, slung calves. That's what the slang was, slung. You know, they slung them or boarded them. And then you asked, and then you'd talk to them and tell them, you know, <coughs> what it was all about. There was a guy up there at Greenville, Greenville, South Dakota, up there by Webster. He had 29 cows and one bull. And I went over there to test his cows, and I didn't see any calves around. <coughs> I said, where's the calves? He said, well, I didn't have any calves. I said, well, yeah. I said, you ever give the thought that you might have a real bad case of brucellosis? No, he said, got a billy goat that runs with the cows, and he takes the disease away from them. <laughs> Did he actually believe that? Yeah. So I said, okay, so then you shouldn't have to worry about any reactors or anything. And so we uh, tested the cows, and I branded 29 cows and one bull. <laughs> okay, so then... And then I, you know, Benny Caruso, Caruso, you know, your cleaning lady, yeah. her husband and mother, I tested their cows. Uh -huh. And they were in a chicken coop. And Benny was a great big guy, you know, slow. And so we went in there, and they were shorthorn cows. And uh, I was going to put the nose beater in their nose, you know, to hold them. Well, he said, no, you don't have to. She said, Benny can hold them. So Benny took a hold of their head, you know, and he held them, and I bled them, you know. And uh, and then they have reactors. <laughs> Went out there and I took Dr. Jack, who was it? Yeah, Dr. Jackson went out there with me to brand them. And of course, Benny's mother was a great big lady, you know, and she had a great big hind end, you know. And he said, you know, he said, that lady, you could set a dinner plate on her ass and sit down and eat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Benny. But you know, though, the thing, uh, the thing I don't understand, though, for sure is, Okay, so if they did have brucellosis, then they could still keep them? 
No, no. They had to kill them then, right? They had to kill them. Okay. If they, if they were, Sell them for if me. they were, if they were uh, a four plus reactor, three plus reactor, they had to slaughter them. You know, and if they were a suspect, then they could keep them, and you had to retest them for thirty days. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, some of those that had to be retested had been vaccinated late, and it was a vaccine that was showing up. And if we'd go back in 30 days and retest them or a little longer, you know, and then they probably couldn't show a titer at all, you know, so it was. You know, and so then the federal government would pay them money. Paid them, paid. So uh, they would get paid for selling the cow. They would get paid market value. Value. And then they would give them $25 for a grade cow and $50 for a registered cow. In addition to whatever the market yep. value was. Well, that wasn't such a bad deal, was it? No. I mean... And then a lot of the cattle would be mortgaged, you know. And then, of course, when you filled out the papers, you know, for the reactor and for the indemnity and this and that, then you'd have to take it into the bank. And then the, the banker would determine, you know, with the indemnity check if he wanted the check sent to the owner or if he wanted the check sent to the bank and... Mm -hmm. And that and uh, well, that was kind of a precarious situation. Yeah. When you think that they wouldn't have any money to rebuild their herd, but that's just poor management on their. But most point. most of them, uh, most of them, you know, most bankers, you know, let the let the indemnity go to the to the owner. Do you think it would have been harder to do your job if you weren't from South Dakota? I don't know. I, I mean, do you think you could have got along with the people as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah? I got along with the people wherever I went. Did you go to, like, uh, did you go down to Iowa or Nebraska ever? Went down to Nebraska a couple times, yeah. Yeah, went down to Nebraska a couple times. Went to Midland, Texas one time. What was uh, that for? Test a big, big herd down there. And, uh... Then one evening, the rancher took us into a, a honky-tonk for steaks. And they had a stage up there. You know, they all, you know, all of those country bands, you know, would come and play in that. And then they had real heavy chicken wire in front of that cage, in front of that stage. And I asked the guy, I said, what's that chicken wire there for? He said, well, he said, you know, when they get a little rowdy, he said, and the band don't play good, they throw bottles up there. <laughs> sure enough, you know, as the evening went on, you know, the band that they had there wasn't very good, and they threw bottles at her. Is that when you brought Jonathan and Daniel those T-shirts? No, that was from Fort Worth when they, they threw them. They were old, about three, four years old, three years old, maybe? Yeah. And Dad came back from Fort Worth. He'd been down there with work. And then, um, you know, he brought the boys each a T-shirt. And we threw them down. In <laughs> At the airport. At the airport. That's just like Roman saying to me, this is no gift. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, that was... So how long does this interview have to go? Well, it only has to go 20 minutes, but... Oh, <laughs> You've got a lot of material. I know, yeah. I, I mean, I That's good. It's really interesting for me, too, to kind of recall. Mm -hmm. and but when we, you know, one, one of the things, you know, when we uh, 
took on that avian influenza out there in Lancaster County. You know, we hadn't really hadn't really had anything like that before. You know, and uh, we didn't know how to handle it or what to do with it. And it was in the fall of the year, and uh, we loaded uh, the dumpster with chickens, and we didn't know what to do with them. You know, so we put a tarp over them and just left them set there overnight at the farm. And then they thought, you know, they had, you know, excited, and then they had a guy that uh, had to stand guard there all night. So they selected one of the workers, you know, one of the feds guys, you know, to be a guard there, and uh, got cold that night, and uh, <laughs> stayed in the corn crib. <laughs> and then uh, in the morning, why uh, we got out there, you know by sunup, you know, and he said, the hell with this, and he went home, and, uh, well, then they came with, uh, with the truck, they had made arrangements to take him out to the landfill, they had a regional landfill there, and they took him, loaded him up, and, uh, we followed him on the highway, you know, to go, well, during the night, you know, those chickens had started, they were dead, and they started to puff up, and they started to expand, and then they started falling off the side of the truck onto the highway. And then the cars were hitting the, the big pictures. <laughs> and oh, God, it was messed. Then the highway patrol came and wanted to know what was going on, you know. And so, well, we finally got them out to the landfill. And, and then we had, you know, made really good arrangements, you know, with the with the sanitation people and the landfill people, and we got them out there. You know, um, talk about chickens. This is like, you know, when we were kids, well, Mom, we go to the dump ground and take a load of dump stuff out to the dump ground. You know, and Grandma, if she'd see something good, she'd pick it up yep. and take it home. You could do that back then. I don't think you can do that no. anymore. Well, there was a, a hatchery in Bridgewater where they would hatch chickens, you know, and then people would go in and buy their chicks and take them. Well, how was it, Dad? You saw some eggs out there? Well, you know, they would come off the hatch, you know, and then they would have a lot of eggs left over, you know, and then they would just take them out there and dump them. And then the chickens, you know, would hatch out there. Mm -hmm. And really? of course, a chick can live for several days, you know, without any feed in that, you know. Mm -hmm. And I would pick up a few of them and take them home and feed mm -hmm. them. Did you guys have, like, Buff Orpingtons or Americanas? These are just regular white. They were, uh, what were they? I forget what. Leghorns is what Leghorns, they were. Leghorns, yeah. Oh. But remember we brought those eggs home to hatch? And then... You know, of course, I was afraid the chickens anyhow, but the chickens hatched. Yeah. Some of them were crippled. Yeah. So I had my legs sticking back. Yeah, and Dad would just pull their heads off then. Yeah. I could just about throw up thinking about it. Did you ever, uh, did you eat any of the chickens you had, or? I don't remember if they ever got that big or not, or if we took them out to Grandma Hanneman's, out to the farm, or not. Just I don't let remember. them live out their lives out there. Yeah. Because, yeah, you grew up on that farm yeah. out there, right? Yeah. When did you well, guys... actually, I grew up down in uh, Elm Creek, Wolf Creek countries where I grew up. 
I didn't spend much time out there at the farm. Because he was a, he, well, your junior year is when? My junior year, you know, I was out there, and then I, you know, um, I, uh, from high school on, I worked out most of the time, you know, I worked mm -hmm. rolling thrashing crews and all A and all that, you know, and so then I went to service. Uh, so did you go to SDSU at all? Yeah, I went there two semesters, two, two quarters, or at that time they had quarters, you know. But you have to, you know, but. But it, it was. It was a, we lived in a trailer house. I remember this mm -hmm. because, and you know, it's not that like was terrible. a trailer house that you know now. And then Keith was born while we lived there. But it was just like living, you know, and of course as a child I didn't know anything. It was better. just kind of wonderful. But I mean, it would have been. It was almost impossible to go to school with at that time yeah. when yeah. you had two kids. Yeah. I was thinking about that the other day, you know, and I, I felt sorry for mom, you know, because cooped up there with two kids, you know, and, mm -hmm. and then you had to go over and you know wash your laundry facilities and that, you know. That but you know, the good. other thing is too, and I'm I know it's on the recording here, but. Um, you know, Dad didn't get a lot of support from his, his parents either. Mm -hmm. You know, his dad, um, father died when he was, before he was born. And sometimes I don't think he knew how to be a dad. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or to, but Grandma was the one that was the more nurturing. Um, yeah. Old Grandpa, old Grandpa was kind of a selfish person in a lot of ways, you know. And, uh, and he really never you had a pretty good relationship with your dad, didn't you? Towards the end, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, I had a real good relationship with my mother. Yeah, she I enjoyed her. Thank you for listening. Uh, that was our Belongs to the Ages podcast with Henry Hanneman. I hope I can do another one with him because that was very fun and it was good oral history. I thought. Tune in for our next podcast. That will be more of a narrative podcast. Uh, the topic is undisclosed right now. And remember, history will be kind to me, for I intend to write it. Winston S. Churchill. Have a good one.